Welcome to this week's edition of Island Recast. For more information on Grand Memorial Presbyterian Church or Pastor David, please go to gmpc.org. So a story is told about, uh, about a man who was shipwrecked on a deserted island. And, and, he, and he was there for three years before he was finally rescued. And the, when, the, when the rescuers showed up, they, they, they were amazed uh, that he had survived. And uh, he said, well, before you uh, take me back to civilization, let me, let me show you how I survived. And so he started giving him a tour of this little uh, deserted island and uh, showed them how he had gathered uh, foodstuffs to eat and, and whatnot. And then they, 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 they broke into a clearing and there were three structures. And they said, well, what, what do we have here? And he pointed to one structure in the middle and he said, this is my home. This is where I took shelter from the elements. And then he pointed to the building on his right, and he said, and this, this is my house of worship. This is my church. This is where I honor my Lord and give thanks for my life. And the rescuer said, well, what about that building over there? And he goes, oh, he says, that was the church I used to go to. Oh, my goodness. As I've said to you before, probably the greatest scandal in the Christian community today is our disunity. It seems like we look for reasons to split and to start other denominations. And we've looked at it. How many, how many thousands of of denominations exist. And, and what are the differences between all of them? Are they really issues that are worth dividing over? I understand that people hold scruples. There are things that we hold very near and dear. And there needs to be a measure of respect with regard to those issues. But I'm convinced that if we took a random member from uh, uh, every one of the worshiping communities here in Coronado and put them in a room and said, okay, tell us the differences. What makes your worshiping community so unique from the other worshiping communities in Coronado? I think people would just stare at you. I'm not convinced that people would be able to articulate the finer points that initially existed that led to the development of the Catholic Church, the Episcopal Church, the Lutheran Church, the Methodist Church, the Presbyterian Church, the Baptist Church, the non-denominational churches. Oh my gosh, we, we finally sliced this piece of pie because we're so caught up in being right that the, that the, 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 the caricature that is represented to the world of non-believers becomes comical. I can almost hear the non-believers saying, 
when you figure it out, then maybe we'll talk. But until you can figure it out amongst yourselves, I'm not interested. Now, if you have your Bibles, I would invite you to open them to the 14th chapter of the book of Romans. Romans. The church in Rome, as we know, is a church that Paul did not establish. It was a church that he had never visited. Uh, he hoped to visit, as we'll, uh, as we'll see as we move through here. Um, but uh, uh, he's working with a very unique group of believers, a group of believers that is, that is made up of Gentile background believers uh, and Jewish background believers. And there was tension between the two because in Jesus Christ, we know that Christ has fulfilled the law and that we are no longer bound to the law. It is not the law that earns us a right standing before God. Jesus Christ, he paid that price for us. And as I, as I mentioned in my prayer, God has declared us to be righteous. That is a legal standing in the divine court of, of eternity that through Christ we are forgiven and we stand in God's presence by grace. The Jewish community in the first century, they believed that the reason they were under Roman oppression was because of their failure to adhere to the law that God had given to them. And not just the moral law, we're talking the civil law and the ceremonial law, all 613 of them. So there's this tension that comes together, and Paul deals with this extensively in the, in the opening chapters of, his, of this book, where, where he, he points out that, that, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, uh, and, and, and that, the, that the law is an instrument that has been given to us uh, within which, when we, when we live within those parameters, we thrive. But at the end of the day, we're going to fall short. At the end of the day, if we are counting on our own efforts, we will fail. At the end of the day, it's about receiving God's grace and mercy through Jesus Christ. We have peace with God through Jesus Christ, and nothing can separate us from the love of God that is ours in Christ Jesus the law exists as a means for us to flourish. There's an interesting book uh, uh, by Charles Murray on human flourishing. And there's a section in there that is devoted just to the accomplishments of the Jewish people. And it is phenomenal, uh, the, the, the disproportionate number of inventions, scientific discoveries, brilliance that has come out of the Jewish community. And he asks the question, how do we account for that? I say we account for that because they received a, a 12 to 1500 year head start on all of us. God gave them that moral framework and they thrived when they lived within that moral framework. The same would be true for us today. As we live within that moral framework, we thrive, we flourish. It still becomes a point of contention between the Jewish background believers and the Gentile background believers in the church in Rome. 
And so Paul addresses that here in this 14th chapter where he says, accept him, accept the one whose faith is weak without passing judgment on disputable matters. One person's faith allows them to eat everything, but another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. The one who eats everything must not look down on the one who does not. And the one who does not eat everything must not condemn the one who does, for God has accepted that person. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To their own master, they will stand or fall. And the one will stand, for God is able to make them stand. One considers one day more sacred than another. Another considers every day alike. Each one should be fully convinced within their own mind. The one who regards one day as special does so to the Lord. The one who eats meat eats to the Lord. For that one gives thanks to the Lord. The one who abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives unto ourselves alone. And none of us dies alone. If we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. For this very reason, Christ died and returned to life that he might be the Lord of both the living and the dead. You then, why do you judge your brother or sister? Or why do you look down on your brother or sister? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat, as it is written. Surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me, every tongue will confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. The tension between the Jewish background believers and the Gentile background believers was palpable. And the Gentile background believers looked down on the Jewish background believers with condescension because they were so wrapped around the axle over adhering to the law. And the Jewish background believers would look at the Gentile background believers with condemnation. For in their eyes, they were failing to adhere to the moral principles that had defined their lives for almost 1,500 years and had served them well. And now the Gentiles are being invited in, and it's as if they are disrespecting everything that came before Jesus Christ. Paul says, except the one whose faith is weak, without passing judgment on disputable matters. On disputable matters, which begs the question, are there undisputable matters? And of course, we would say that there are. Yes, there are undisputable matters, things that that we cling to and will not release regardless of the social pressure and convention that exists in our time. I tell people that I've got five non-negotiables. Jesus Christ is fully God and fully human. He came to earth to show us the face of God and to teach us how to live in relationship to God and to one another. For me, that's a non-negotiable. 
I believe that the word, the Bible is the authoritative word of God teaching us all that we need to know about living that life and those relationships between one another and with God. I believe that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. And I believe in a bodily resurrection. And I also believe the day will come when Jesus will return. I'll never forget, I was at, uh, uh, I, I was at a gathering of, of pastors for a, another denomination. Uh, I was a student. I was a seminary student. And uh, uh, I was at the, at the home of a friend who was sponsoring this, uh, this gathering, and I was, I was helping out. I was serving beverages and, and doing all this kinds of stuff. And there was another woman there uh, who was a Catholic, had a, a Catholic background. And uh, uh, she, was, uh, she was asking questions about, uh, about Protestantism and, and, and what it is that, it, that separates Protestants from, uh, from Catholics, and uh, the, do, do Protestants believe in the Bible, and uh, you know, what, 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 do we, what do we hold, uh, what do we hold, where, where, where do our scruples lie, and, and, uh, and there was a, a person from this other denomination that will not be named, uh, 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 who was attending, who walked in on the conversation, and I said, well, I said, both Protestants and Catholics are Christians. We follow the, the, the teachings of Jesus. And yes, there, you know, within Protestantism, there are many different denominations. But uh, I, I think that you could probably uh, say that even though there are some differences in how we govern ourselves... And there may be some minor theological differences between the various Protestant denominations that, uh, uh, that they all probably would agree on five essential uh, uh, issues. And she said, oh, really? And, the, and the, the pastor of this other denomination who had walked up said, oh, really? And I said, well, uh, y- yes, uh, and I went, through my, I went through my five things. Jesus, fully God, fully human, shows us the face of God and how to live. The Bible is the authoritative word of God, that Jesus died on the cross for our sins, that there was a bodily resurrection, and that he was going to return. And she sat there and said, oh, that's fascinating. And he took issue with three out of the five. And I thought, oh, my goodness. I'm so naive. I would still hold that those five issues are paramount if one is going to call oneself a Christian, a follower of Jesus Christ, a disciple, one who obeys the teachings of Jesus. Who is this guy? How do we know who he is? Well, that's why we have this. Is this a disputable matter? It has absolutely become a disputable matter in the church today. And I'm scratching my head. I can't understand why. I was talking about this with, uh, with Jody. And, of course, I think that one of the... One of the uh, we, we talk about the moral law that God provides for us uh, that is represented in the Ten Commandments. 
And she made the case that the, the, the challenge and the problem is that the, uh, those on the liberal end of the spectrum, they want to take away from the Ten Commandments, and those on the conservative end, they want to add to the Ten Commandments. I love the, uh, the, the way that uh, uh, Dinesh D'Souza articulates his understanding of the Bible. This is a great book, by the way, What's So Great About Christianity?, uh, he, he, he writes this about, uh, about the Bible. The church fathers typically understood Scripture as operating on multiple levels. The Exodus narrative, for example, was read both as a description of actual events and as a sign of spiritual liberation. This is how African-American slaves understood it, and the hope helped sustain many of them through the dark night of slavery. So I reject crude literalism. But equally do I reject the view at the other extreme, which says the Bible should be read through the lens of contemporary secular assumptions. Some people want to reject the parts of Scripture they find objectionable and embrace only the parts they like. This is cafeteria Christianity, and it's worse than literalism. At least the literalist is trying to learn from Scripture. The cafeteria Christian simply projects his or her prejudices onto the text. My way of reading Scripture is neither literal nor liberal, but rather contextual. Only by examining the text in relation to the whole can we figure out how a particular line or passage is best understood. At this point, let's settle on this simple operating principle. Whether you regard the Bible as inspired or not, read the text in context for what it's actually trying to say. I think that's brilliant. Read the text in context for what it is actually trying to say. I believe that the Bible speaks to us today. And I do believe that there are moral absolutes contained within Scripture. But we live in a day where even the moral absolutes that are contained within Scripture are being relegated to the disputable matters. How did that happen? It happened. It started way back here. The disputable matters here started off with food. One man's faith allows him to eat everything, but another whose faith is weak, eats only vegetables. Who's he talking to? It's the Jewish background believers that were eating only vegetables because they didn't know where the meat was coming from. Back in the day, if you wanted meat, the primary place that you would get it was at the pagan temple butcher shop. And if meat had been sacrificed to idols, then the, the Jews, according to their ceremonial laws, they're not going to have any part of it. And so rather than take a chance that they are going to eat food that was sacrificed to idol, they're just going to stay away from it. I'm going I'm to eat vegetables. I can, get by with, I can get by on a vegetarian diet very well. Thank you very much. I'm not going to take that chance. What they had done... Uh, was they, 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 what they called fenced the law. And we see that uh, most clearly in their understanding of the Sabbath. Take a day off. Oh, that means we can't work. Well, how do you define work? 
Well, it's, it's work to get up. It's work to move a chair across the floor. I mean, it's, it, so they, they built all these rules and regulations. They redefined work, and they built these fences around the law so that as long as you didn't penetrate those fences, then you would never come close to violating the Sabbath. But the problem was that the fencing laws became more important than the Sabbath itself. You say, how could people do that? Well, I'll tell you what, that's the way it was when I was a new Christian. They had fenced some of the laws. I, uh, one, one, of the, one of the first uh, uh, communities that I worshipped at, uh, uh, you didn't go to movies. You didn't dance. You didn't drink. You didn't smoke. These were things that if you were caught doing could get you excommunicated from that community. It was a very legalistic community. And as I talked with the pastor about it one time, he said, well, he says, he says David, I know that, because I, I, I asked him, I said, can you show me in scripture where it says that we shouldn't go to movies? And he might have thought I was being a little impertinent. I don't think I was. But uh, I, I just I wanted to understand, where does it say? I mean, Jesus turned water into wine. Well, that was actually grape juice. Was it? Now, you know, I'm not a chemist, but my understanding is that all grape juice fermented into wine until Louis Pasteur developed pasteurization. So, uh, and didn't Paul tell Timothy to take a little wine for his stomach? So I, he says, well, he says, people who, people who get drunk act inappropriately. And so uh, the only people that get drunk are the people that drink. And so if you don't drink, there's never a chance that you'll get drunk, and there's never a chance that you're going to act inappropriately. Okay. Uh, what about when Paul says all things, uh, uh, I, I, will, I will be nat- master of none, uh, I, will, I will let nothing be master over me, all things, uh, all things are possible, not all things are profitable. Isn't there something to be said about moderation? David, you just need to believe what I tell you. Okay. I didn't hang around in that fellowship very long. So, so that was an example to me of adding to the Ten Commandments and majoring on the minors and arguing over disputable issues. Now, if a person decides that they don't want to drink, then I'm going to respect that. I'm not going to look down on them. Just like the Gentile background believers were told not to look down on the Jewish background believers because they had decided not to eat meat. And it really isn't about the meat. Those were parts of the ceremonial law that were, just, that were broken down through Jesus Christ and, and his ministry. And so Paul equally says to the Jewish background believers, do not look upon your Gentile brothers and sisters with condemnation. Do not major in the minors. And then he goes on. He goes on. Who are you to judge 
someone else's servant. To their own master, they will stand or fall. And they will stand, for the Lord is able to make them stand. Each and every one of us will stand before the Lord. And Paul comes back to that at the end. I will stand before the Lord for the scruples that I hold, for the things that I believe, as will you. Are there issues that are non-negotiable? Absolutely there are issues that are non-negotiable. And and you may take issue with some of the things that I have decided are non-negotiable. And so you would say to yourself, well, uh, uh, I, I, can't, I can't listen to that, and so uh, I'm going to scoot off and I'm going I'm to go somewhere else. And, and, and people have done that throughout the time that I've been here. I remember reading a sign that said, if you ever find the perfect church, don't go there. Because you'll ruin it. Because we are not perfect. We're trying to figure it out. As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another, and we hopefully have greater clarity about what are the things that are important. Where are those non-negotiables? Where do we stand? Paul goes on to talk about the day of worship. In verse 5, one person considers one day more sacred than the other, and another considers every day alike. Each one should be fully convinced in their own minds. And, of course, this goes back to the Sabbath and the honoring of the Sabbath. For the Jewish background believers, that was Saturday. What day did Jesus rise from the dead? Sunday morning. Sunday morning. And so they got, there there was a new custom that developed where we're going to gather and worship God the day that he rose from the dead. Well, you can't do that because it's not a Saturday. Nothing happened on Saturday. Jesus didn't rise on the Saturday. Why not? He was respecting the Sabbath. Okay. Is it a life or death issue? Does your salvation depend upon which day you worship? I think it only depends if you have no day at all that you worship. The, The Sabbath was created for us. To take a day off, to, to, to rest, to, to, to play with our family, to enjoy life. When the Sabbath was first introduced, their surrounding cultures thought that the Jews were lazy. You take a day off. People worked. When the sun was up, you worked. When the sun went down, you went to sleep. 24, you know, seven days a week. That was it. There was no taking a day off. God comes in, breaks into history, gives the Jews these laws, and one of the laws is, I want you to take a day off and rest. And the story is told about the two guys who are having a competition to see how many trees they could fell. And they're chopping away, and they're chopping away. And after every second or third tree, this guy stops to sharpen his axe. And the other guy keeps working away. He's chopping away, thinking, ha, 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 I'm going to beat this guy. Look at this. He's a fool. He's taking time to sharpen his axe. I'm just going to keep on chopping, keep on chopping. At the end of the competition, this guy chopped a third more trees than this guy did. Because his axe was sharpened. He took the time. And the Sabbath enables us to take that time to sharpen our axes, if you will, to kind of relax and rest and recognize that there is more to life than just work. There's an opportunity to praise the Lord and to celebrate God's faithfulness. 
I remember as a kid, <laughs> all these examples of when I was a kid, I'm starting to feel very, very old. But uh, at, at, at 6 o'clock uh, on uh, Saturday uh, evening, all the shopping centers closed down. And then they, were all, then they didn't open up until Monday morning. They closed so people could get ready to, 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 to celebrate the Sabbath. We don't have a Sabbath anymore. One day is like the next. People realized, hey, not everybody goes to church. Maybe they'll come and they'll buy something from my shop. And so it began a whole new cultural shift. And then along came sports. Oh, my goodness. Sports have taken over the weekend. So, so football. And I'm a football fan. I, you know, I, I'm, but you know what? They have this amazing thing on, 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 uh, on televisions now. It's called a record button. And so if there's something that I want to watch that's on Sunday morning, like the Brown-Steelers game today at 10 o'clock, you, 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 just, you set the record button and you record it, and then you can come back to it and you don't have to watch all those goofy commercials. We hear all the time, oh, gee, really wish we could come to church on Sunday, but, you know, Junior has a, a soccer game, or there's this, that, or, or the other. I'm, I'm sorry, we, uh, we, can't, we can't do that. I was talking with Rebecca one time. She says, I'm waiting for the family to come to me that says to the coach, I'm sorry, we can't play the game on Sunday. We have a prior commitment to worship the Lord. I mean, that's just, like, well, what, what kind of a fanatic are you? You can't, miss, you can't miss a day? No, I'm not saying anything about missing a day. But we develop patterns in our lives. And one of those patterns in our lives is a day to worship the Lord. And, and, and if that day is Saturday for you, as it is for uh, some of our Seventh-day Adventist friends, well, you know, God bless you. Or, or the, 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 the Jewish people, they still celebrate the, the Sabbath. God bless them. You know, my Sabbath day, is Monday. Because I work on the Sabbath. I work on Sunday. So I, 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 I take that day very, very carefully. I, I, I tend not to... That's, that's my day of rest. People get so wrapped up around these issues. And what we have seen happen is instead of us working through the... Uh, what, what, what does Paul call it again? Uh, instead of working through the disputable matters, running them through a filter of Scripture to say this is how we live and respect others who may hold different scruples than we do, in a sense, agree to disagree without being disagreeable. What we have seen is the culture press in and make all things disputable. There are no more absolutes except the absolute that there are no more absolutes. There is no truth except for the truth that there is no truth. How many times have you heard someone say, well, that's your truth, that works for you, that's not my truth? People say that all the time. The next time somebody says that to you, you simply need to say, you don't believe that. 
And they'll say, well, what do you mean? Hand me your wallet. Well, what do you want with that? Well, just hand me your wallet. I just want you to see. I want you to see how well this theory of yours plays out across the board. Anybody have a wallet they want to give me? You going to give me your wallet? Micah's going to give me his wallet. Is there any money in it? There won't be when you get it back. Well, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute, but that's my truth. That works for me. If it doesn't work for you, that's your problem. That's your truth. This is my truth. There has to be a truth that transcends human experience. There has to be a truth that transcends what happens in our own lives between our own ears. And God has given us that transcendent truth through his word and through his son. And that's our charge and our challenge is to work together as iron sharpens iron because the reality is each one of us individually is going to stand before God someday. And I take what I do very, very seriously and I hope that you take what you do very, very seriously as well. I like the idea that, uh, uh, that in order for the proclaimed word to become the word of God, not only do you need an authentic proclamation of the word, but you need an authentic hearing of the word. So when people say to me, thank you for that, for that sermon, Pastor, that was, a really great, that was a really great word, I say back to them, thank you for hearing it. Because if it's not heard, what I say is worthless. It takes an authentic proclamation and an authentic hearing. So you're responsible to digest and figure out what I've said, and you could be like the Bereans who Paul encountered who were a little bit more noble-minded than the Thessalonians, and they went to the Scripture at the end of every day to see if the things that Paul was telling them were true. The difference between you and me is that I stand up here, and I, and, and, and I have to articulate these ideas and these beliefs, and these understandings. Which is why in James it says, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that as such you shall incur a more strict judgment. I love it when people come to me and say, Pastor, I want to take issue with you on something that you said. Great, let's sit down with Scripture. Help me to understand where I missed the point. Well, it doesn't really have to do with Scripture. It has to do with, I said, stop. If, it, if, you, if, you, if you're not going to correct me from Scripture, you're going to correct me from your own convention and your own opinions. And when it comes to our walk of faith, it's not about convention or opinions. It's about God's Word. And it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a commitment that is born out of deep thought and meditation and prayer and study. And when we can do that together, we can still agree to disagree. You hold to your scruples, I will hold to my scruples. Because at the end of the day, I will stand before God for what I teach. Just as you will stand before God for what you believe. I remember having an intense conversation with a person who walked out of a meeting because he disagreed with my theology. And I had a conversation with him later, and, uh, uh, and I, I made a theological statement, and he shook his head, and he says, you know, I just, I don't, I don't believe that. And so I said to him, I said, you know, I, I appreciate that. You've taken great pains 
to tell me what you don't believe. Can you tell me what you do believe? He paused. And then he said, that's a fair question. And so I waited. And you know what he said to me? I don't know. I don't know what I believe. I said, well, that would be a pretty important thing to figure out because your eternity depends on it. Oh, we can agree to disagree. And I think that we need not get wrapped over the axle around disputable matters. All things in moderation. I don't care if you dance. I don't care if you go to movies. I don't care if you like to smoke a cigar or drink a fine single malt. Yeah, okay, that's my, that's my. And I hope you don't care that I do. All things in moderation. What I do care about is what you think of Jesus Christ. Who he is and what he's done for us. What I do care about is what you think of the word, the Bible. What I do care about is our growth in our faith, our maturation as we live together as disciples of Jesus Christ. What I do care about is who we are becoming as we are obedient to our Lord. That, I think, will hold us in good stead when we stand before God to give an account of our lives. Thank you for listening to Island Recast. For more information, please go to gmpc.org. They say that one of the strengths of uh, faith in America is that it isn't state-sponsored. That uh, churches rise and fall within this nation uh, based on how well they, uh, how well they conduct uh, business. Uh, I would say they rise and fall on how close they are to the gospel. But that's, that, that comes back to my uh, belief that there are indisputable matters. And the reality is that there are different worshiping communities, and I thank God for that, because some people have a preference for uh, a little more formal service. Some people have a preference for uh, one that's more relaxed. Some people like organ music. Some people like guitar music. Uh, some people like to dress up. Some people like to be more casual. Some people like liturgy in their services. Some like a little uh, free-flowing service. You know, all of those things are, are disputable matters. It's not an issue. Wherever you worship, I pray that you are being fed by the word of God. But regardless of the disputable matters that may determine where we worship, be sure that you understand what the undisputable issues are and hold those firm. And whatever your experience is, whatever it is that you decide how you are going to live, filter it through those undisputable matters and you will be in good stead. And that, my friends, is kingdom living at its best, where we can agree to disagree without being disagreeable with the disputable matters while holding the core values and morals of our faith with love, grace, mercy, and forgiveness.